Having been buried in the churchyard, the ghost rides forth to the scene of battle in nightly quest of his head, and that the rushing speed with which he sometimes passes along the hollow in a hurry to get back to the churchyard before daybreak. Um, I love that. Who wrote that? Oh, you've never heard of uh, Diedrich Knickerbocker? No. How about Jonathan Oldstyle? No. Will Wizard? Nope. Hi, guys. It's all Washington Irving. Well, I guess today we're going to be unfolding the story of Washington Irving and the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Hi, I'm Kyle. Can We Geek About is a new podcast from Gotham West. Each week, JJ and I will delve into the geekier side of pop culture from our favorites in science fiction and fantasy to new releases and even maybe rag on some absolute flops. We promise that even if you don't like what we have to say, you'll like how we say it. But anyway, can we geek about? Did you really need me here for this? I just needed a ride. (sighs) Can we geek about? So give us a listen, subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This week on Folktown. Sleepy Hollow. A town that's anything but sleepy. Welcome to Folktown. Welcome back, residents of Folktown. We have reached the end of Chapter 1, Sleepy Hollow. Isn't that crazy? It's wild. I just, I don't want to talk about it. So, (laughs) this is the big kahuna, as they say. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is actually the story and the reason that we did this podcast. And it is the legend of the Headless Horseman and where it comes from in different iterations but before we dive into that, we just want to say thank you. Right, ladies? This was uh, a lot of learning, a labor of love for us. We were all really excited to do this. And for the first time, we're all sitting in the same room. Yeah. Wait, not the first time in life. Yes. But like yes. the first time recording. Yeah. So um, we are coming to you live from Studio 7 Gotham West. First time that I've been here. And if you can hear the excitement, it's probably because I'm just so happy to be here with everybody. But uh, we are going to talk a little bit today about the Headless Horseman, and we're going to dive into the man behind the myth, the legend, the beautiful story that is the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Mm -hmm. But stuff that we, in our research, did not know before. I did not know that 
you know, Washington Irving, who wrote The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, I did not know that all of these stories that existed in mythology were out there. All these headless horsemen iterations throughout the world. Well, so I true. think there's there's that that thing that all artists have, right? We all adapt our art based on life and anything can influence anybody. Yeah, right? absolutely. So true. Absolutely. And uh, we will be diving into a lot about Washington Irving and his life and all of the characters and the real people that influence those characters. But first, we kind of want to talk about the different stories. I mean, I'll I'll kick it off to you, Dina. Ah. Uh, no stress, no stress. Um, you're going to be telling us the Scottish version. I'm going to be telling you like a minute of the Scottish okay, that's version. That's fine. That's because fine. Because I, I think the, the real thing which is why we want to start with the folklore is because it's so steeped in, in culture, right? You yes. have Irish folklore, Scottish, German, you know, Native Americans have their own. And we all know that these stories are fictitious, if you will, but so much of their cultures and traditions are involved in this. And that's why people get so into it, I think. And America is such a hodgepodge like meshing of all of these cultures that I think that's why after 200 plus years we're still telling this story because we've discovered you know it's considered one of the uh, original ghost stories slash American folk tales that really kind of started our country off and insanely enough right by where we grew up again so this this is kind of where all of our interest into this season of Folktown started and many more towns and many more spooky stories to come. But with all the different versions that we looked into, I think there's something really beautiful about the fact that over hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years, these stories can evolve into a story that we read in school in yeah. New York State. You know, like I was saying, in the school district I went to, it's required reading for seventh grade, mm -hmm. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. So we all know it. And then we go take the field trip. So um, I can't imagine how you would go. I know you didn't attend, but there is a Washington Irving Middle School in Terrytown. How do you attend that school and then you don't read the story, right? I mean, yeah, it's yeah. embedded Pretty in curriculum. Don't know the history. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so dive in. Tell us a little bit. So, you know, I feel like it's almost like which came first, the chicken yeah. or the egg here, yeah. you know, like which one of these stories really kind of started at all, but it kind of evolves and I don't know, there's just all this like backstory, origin stories we were calling it. So the Scots tale of the Headless Horseman concerns a man named Ewan who was decapitated in a clan battle at Glen Kinnear on the Isle of Mull and he died in battle and that to me immediately set off that light bulb mm -hmm. that I was like, that's him, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> that must have been him, you know. <laughs> And that's pretty much the whole story because it wasn't just so much about somebody coming back to haunt. It was about the killing of this person who lost his head. Yeah. And wasn't there a bit that like he was super pissed that they wouldn't make him a chieftain or something? What did uh, the battle denied him any chance to be a chieftain because he got killed. Dead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he died. So close. Poor guy. So close. That, and like you just said, that is hello. Ringing that bell. And, and do you know his horse was headless too? Oh, wait. Poor horses during this time. Hold you know? on. That means the poor horse's head got cut off? Yeah. yeah. Or blown off. I hate that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I hate that. 
Yeah. That's a rough one. <laughs> yeah, that, that was really rough. Welcome, everyone. <laughs> so mine is based in um, German folklore. And the reason I'm going next, because Dale is going to share the Irish version. And it is so damn creepy mm. that it's so creepy. Yeah. So mine is based on the uh, German folklore that in Germany, a headless horseman um, mostly these stories mostly came from the Rhineland rather than using the decapitation. The headless horsemen killed their victims simply by touching them. So apparently these headless horsemen, they were revenants who had to wander the earth until they atoned for all of their sins. So sometimes they would do a good deed for strangers. And instead of showing their gratitude by shaking their hands, the stranger and the horseman would hold a tree branch between them. And then the branch would wither and die rather than the stranger dying. And that's eventually, as revenants, how they would get back into the good graces and then be able to pass into the afterlife. For those of you that don't know, a revenant is an animated corpse. So we had zombies, too. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Excellent. I mean, again, like maybe this could have been an inspiration for a zombie story, right? A reanimated corpse. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. so they say that Irving, the the, we're going to go ahead and we already can debunk the fact that this was an incorrect year of when they say he traveled to Germany, but that he had traveled to Germany and become quite familiar with the Dutch and German folklore, in particular, the last of the legend von Rubzal, the legends of Rubzal from Johann Karl August Muskus's literary <laughs> tellings of yep. German folktales. I'm doing my best with the German here, guys. It's said to have inspired the legend of Sleepy Hollow. And again, no way to prove this, but just some of those similarities there in the story. The Revenant thing is a little eh, but, you know, yeah. the Headless Horseman is said to ride Other every stories. Halloween. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of dig that that vibe that he can kill you just by touching you. It has that bridge to maybe the Headless Horseman was a character to resemble death. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Which... Ties into creepy story. (laughs) (laughs) So my story is the Irish legend of the Dalahan, and I'm probably not pronouncing that right, so just bear with me. But this is super fascinating because it's a really eerie, creepy, um, and it's deeply rooted in the Celtic mythology. So it's said to originate from a Celtic god, Chrome Da. Which again, I'm probably not pronouncing that right, so I apologize. You really should brush up on your Gaelic before we <laughs> hit record. But um, this guy was a. Uh, it describes it's this god was described as a dark bent man who would ask for human sacrifices, and he also was the fertility god, which is quite interesting. Well, so that's that's an interesting pairing. Yeah. Yeah, like a very, um, okay. Take one out, put one in. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, that I guess, I mean, I guess that works. But the Dalahan is supposed to be based on this godlike character. But this guy is the Irish version of the horseman. And in this version, it is him riding through the night, uh, as most of the horsemen do. They ride through the night. He holds his head on his shoulder, but um, instead of, I'm sorry, correction, he does not have his head on his shoulders. He 
holds his head up very, very, very high. And it's said that the head is a decaying severed head. Delicious. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. But then there's also um, another little tidbit that I found super creepy and gross that he also wields a whip made from a human corpse's spine. I think you should have just cut straight to that. Yeah. Can you imagine (laughs) coming across this? headless horseman this this variation of him but then it gets even crazier because he's also depicted as riding in a black carriage or coach that is pulled by six black horses and the carriage is often described as being made of dark materials and human bones fantastic yeah and the carriage is supposed to be the symbol of death so he is kind of death, right? And it said that when the Dollahan stops riding, a death occurs. And he calls out a name. And at which point that person's name, whoever it might be, immediately dies. That's okay. Great. So okay. that's um that's where that's you and creepiest story. Goes. Yeah. And I think that's the point, right? We hear a creepy story like this. I mean, we really could have just like cut right to like, this guy's got a whip that's made of somebody's spine. Mm -hmm. He says your name. You're dead. And you're dead. Mm -hmm. Again, you don't have to. As a child who would hear a story like that, that would be terrifying. And I think that's the thing. These are the things that stick with us into adulthood. And that's how we love kind of piecing the puzzles of folklore and uh, different cultures together. And there were so many others, by the way. I don't know if you, if anyone, you know, for the listeners, start, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, start researching because we, there was. um, It's a rabbit hole. It it is intense. Mm -hmm. The amount of headless horseman stories that exist out there in different cultures. And I always find that interesting because if every culture has a version, maybe there's that kernel of truth somewhere, right? So if every culture across many centuries, different parts of the world where they didn't have ways to tell each other the stories, it's not mm-hmm. like they could look it up on the internet. It's not like they could read it in a book. These pieces of literature, this information was not being crossed oceans, not crossing oceans to other folks. How is everybody during very similar time periods creating these headless horseman stories? So true. It makes me think of like, I don't know if you guys ever did this as kids, but when you had the game of telephone where you I had like the two just, cups yes. and like as the story goes down the line, it changes. Or like when you're, I know in like school we had the teacher would tell you one thing at the front of the line. And as the story went down the line, it would change drastically. Exactly. They would have like maybe one or two little tidbits that mm-hmm. were the same. But by the time it got to the end, it was a completely different story. But it all originated mm-hmm. with one story. Because we had oral tradition, right? Yeah, And absolutely. obviously that is an epic game of telephone. Yeah. <laughs> until people started writing things down and, yeah. and publishing them for everybody to be able to read in languages that everybody was able to read, not just Latin. Exactly. You know? <laughs> that language barrier. Yeah. yeah. There's also, like- you know, there's a, I don't know, maybe <laughs> a selfishness that, you know, we've been blessed in the U.S. with this, you know, version of the Headless Horseman. We've all grown up with it, but... There are parts of culture. Uh, my dad grew up. My grandmother was, I think everyone had this shock and realization when they got 23andMe tests that we are not Native American. So much so we thought we were Native American that my cousins 
had tribal cards because it, <gasps> one of our great grandmothers was in a Native American Cherokee tribe. All this kind of stuff, right? So then you get your DNA. You're not. But because that was such an important thing, my mom would bring us to powwow ceremonies to teach us yeah, better culture. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of sitting down and having a stranger tell you a story about your people and your Love culture. just stories. And even it had nothing to do with me, but it just felt like I was part of something that was part of me. And I think that, like you brought up, that's a really beautiful tradition of oral tradition and telling stories. And the Headless Horseman, I think, is ours. Without a the, doubt. In the U.S. That is our, mm-hmm. every Halloween, you know, to watch out for the Headless Horseman. Yep. It's part of our culture, and not just here in New York. Yep. I People, I would Everywhere. imagine... I. I'm also that's conjecture because I've never lived anywhere other than New York, but I would imagine that's a story that everybody thinks of on Halloween, right? Without a doubt, mm-hmm. without a doubt. And uh, you know, a legend is just that; it's based on history, and people think it's real. Mm-hmm. There's no way to prove it. Yeah, right? absolutely. And yeah, that's, that's what makes fun it fun. Part. Yeah, yeah nice. exactly. That's why Wait. we're here. Ha! Huh. <laughs> I just realized something. It's Halloween. Guys, yeah, it is. Happy Halloween! Happy best day Halloween. of the year, best holiday of the year, in my opinion, because uh-huh. you get to celebrate it without having to give people presents. Yeah. You know, just candy. Yeah, but my love language is spooky stories. Speaking of spooky stories, perfect segue because we're gonna take a short break, and when we get back, we are going to tell you the legend of the headless horseman. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Welcome back, dear listeners. So we are almost to our favorite part of the episode, like I said before, which is the story. But I did just want to talk a little bit more on the Headless Horseman. And we're not going to talk about the Sleepy Hollow movie because (laughs) the the inaccuracies in that movie to this story are abundant. I did not rewatch it specifically because I did not want to be tainted and say something that was not factual in this episode. Dina, I know you did. You know, I tried because I watched it when it originally came out and I really did like it. I did because it's just another version of the story and I love adaptations. Yeah. Tim Burton's great, you know, and Johnny Depp again. But yeah, that I watched it the other night after now having been so engulfed in all of this and and gone down that rabbit hole and now I can't enjoy it because I'm like that's not what the church looks like that's not what the town nope 
Nope. He was a teacher. He was not a constable. What is happening? He strayed too far. But but he he did and he didn't. He he created his own right. version of, right and yeah. Christopher Walken was such a great Hessian. You know, like I, I always that he was creepy with those shaved down teeth. Like come on. But but people who are watching that thinking they know the legend of Sleepy Hollow, you don't. You just right. know the Tim Burton version of Sleepy Hollow, which plays fast and loose. <laughs> now, I didn't watch it, but Dale, didn't you watch the Sleepy Hollow show? Yeah. Okay, and where are it's, we at? No, it's totally. Late. No, 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 no. Where thank you, one no. listener told us it was yeah. from Wilmington, North Carolina. Filmed that in. That is awesome. Filmed in. Yeah. Filmed in, yes. But it's supposed to take place in the actual Sleepy Hollow, New York, like, which makes it even more interesting. But it it's nothing like the legend of Sleepy Hollow, the story. They took very creative, they took a very creative direction for it. I love the guy who plays Ichabod, mm-hmm. but it, yeah, it, it's not at all. It's, it's a lot more about the world ending and there being, you know, there's, there's four horsemen that are coming and that oh, it's like brings about, yes, exactly. It's the start oh, okay. of the apocalypse. Interesting. Okay. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, so just another variation, but so is that horseman then that is after Ichabod, one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Is yes. that a, is that a tie? Yes. That's clever. That's mm-hmm. kind of I like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the- I mean I again I liked the show. Mm-hmm. I like the show. I think though if you're looking for something that is the story, the main story, that's not the show. Sleepy <laughs> okay. All right. Well we have two two no's on the accuracy there, but uh, I will say I did enjoy the movie when I watched it. Mm-hmm. And Entertaining. Yeah, very entertaining. And there's nothing wrong with taking creative liberties and going your own direction, but that's not what we did today. And how would Irving had made his legend if he didn't technically do the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. So he pulled from, like we said, all of these different folklore versions from all over the world and created his own, the one that we know and love. So cozy up, dear listener, because now we will be telling you the Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Welcome, dear listeners, to a chilling tale of the supernatural that has haunted the quiet village of Sleepy Hollow for generations. This is the legend of the headless horseman and the hapless schoolteacher, Ichabod Crane. In the early 19th century, Sleepy Hollow was a place but time seemed to stand still. Nestled in the Hudson Valley, the town was known for its tranquil beauty and, of course, its legends. Her story begins on a crisp autumn evening, as the leaves fell from the trees and the town prepared for the annual harvest festival. Among the villagers was Ichabod Crane, a tall, lanky schoolteacher with a penchant for fanciful tales and an insatiable appetite. Ichabod's days were filled with lessons and laughter as he regaled his students with stories of ghosts, goblins and the legend of the Headless Horseman. One evening, as Ichabod made his way home on his horse from a particularly raucous gathering, he found himself on a desolate path, surrounded by the eerie quiet of the forest. 
then, out of the shadows, emerged a figure on horseback, its head severed from its shoulders. The headless horseman, a phantom said to be the spirit of a Hessian soldier who had lost his head to a cannonball during the Revolutionary War. Panic surged through Ichabod as he urged his horse to move faster. But the headless horseman pursued him relentlessly, his ghastly laughter echoing through the night. Ichabod knew that he had to reach the safety of the bridge that crossed the nearby creek. For it was said that the headless horseman could not cross running water. But just as Ichabod reached the bridge, the headless horseman threw his severed head, a flaming pumpkin, at the terrified schoolteacher. All that remained of Ichabod Crane were his abandoned horse and a shattered pumpkin. Some said he'd been spirited away by the ghostly rider, while others believed he'd fled in terror. To this day, the legend of the Headless Horseman haunts Sleepy Hollow, and the townsfolk still share the tale of Ichabod Crane and the ghostly rider who roams the woods in search of a head. And so... Dear listeners, as the moon rises over Sleepy Hollow, remember the cautionary tale of Ichabod Crane and the Headless Horseman. For in this quiet village, where legends come to life, the line between reality and the supernatural is as thin as the mist that hangs in the autumn air. Sleep well, and beware the headless specter that rides through the night. Okay, so that is the <laughs> legend of Sleepy Hollow. The real one. The real one. Written by Washington Irving, the native son of New York. What a title. Right? Like, I mean, big shoes to fill. Yeah. Big shoes to fill. But I think we probably had the most fun uh, talking about how he has a hand in so much of today's pop culture and so many of us know nothing but about it. Like being tied back to him. We're like, how is this Irving as well? Mm. Like the name Gotham. I love that. Yes. It's such a fun story. Uh, Like he didn't invent the word Gotham. It again originated somewhere else. Uh, there was some sort of story about the small village where the king was supposedly going to pass through and they didn't want him to. So they all decided to act crazy in hopes he would just pass them by. And he did. So Gotham is actually implying that, you know, the people who live there are crazy. Oh, uh, welcome to New York. And yeah. then when he, yeah, when he came out with his first book, he nicknamed Gotham for New York City. And I guess everything kind of. Went from there. But seriously, how would you equate Washington Irving with Gotham? I never would have thought of that before. Never. Reading that. I didn't know that until I started a podcast here a couple of years ago with Gotham West Studios, if you guys didn't know. Mm-hmm. And you told me that story. Mm-hmm. I, when we first started talking yeah. about this, I was like, I'm about to blow your mind. Guess what? <laughs> and she was like, oh my God, Tom is going to love that. <laughs> 
Fantastic. Um, another fun fact. Uh, did you guys know the earth was flat? Oh, I yes, I heard this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Irving, again, one of his books, very satirical, introduced and it is quoted mm-hmm. the erroneous idea that Europeans believe the world was flat prior to the discovery of the, the new world by Christopher Columbus. And again, people just really believed him that they were like, oh, OK, the world is flat. OK, great. Perfect. That one's really fun. I, I love, like that one. I love that one. Especially since, what, 200 plus years later, people are still believing it's true? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we won't talk about that. But yes, people do believe that's true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that uh, he started public libraries, right? The Astor Free Public Libraries in New York. <laughs> Hashtag thank a teacher, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, what... I know that you know a lot more about this than Dale and I do, but who were the people in his life that influenced these characters? Oh, yeah, man. I was just going to say that. Like, I'm where really did they interested come in that. from? We might need more time. So, <laughs> so, okay, take take the journey back with me, right? So Irving's born in New York, but gets shipped up to Terrytown to stay with close personal friends during this yellow fever outbreak in 1798, right? Because mm-hmm. he didn't have the best of health as a child. His parents were very concerned with him for him because he was the youngest of 11, eight of whom survived to adulthood. So they've already lost children possibly at this mm-hmm. point. So they let him stay with his friend, James Kirk Paulding, who also became a writer. And I mean, I also love the fact that it's all these... Little boys who are loving all of these legends that they're hearing. They're obsessed with the Hudson Valley and the beauty that is it, the nature of it. And this is the romantic period of writing, right? And it's in stark contrast to what's going on in the literary world in England. And I think Irving was smart enough to play up and kind of develop that because of all the influences around him. So... In his first book, The History of New York, he writes it under a pseudonym. Hmm. Did you know what that was? No. Nope. Diedrich Knickerbocker. Aha. Well. There's that name. There it is. I mean, we have an amazing basketball team that is really living up to this legend. This like legendary title. Um, maybe. uh, (laughs) Maybe when we were kids. (laughs) Yeah. Not so much recently. But, you know, technically we are all Knickerbockers because we are all New Yorkers. (laughs) But in terms of his characters, when we're talking about the legend, I mean, again, influences, you know, fiction is influenced by reality, right? So War of 1812, everybody wants to begin with that, but we could work back further. There really is a Colonel Ichabod B. Crane. Yes. I I found that story when I was doing the research. Did you see his picture? Yes. Who is this man? What did you think of his picture? I thought, I mean, it was good. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he looked very angry. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Like he did not want his picture taken. No. No. Now there's no documentation that the two of them ever met. Yeah. But they were stationed in the area. I mean, there is definite possibility that he at least heard the name. I mean, the name Ichabod is very... That's unique. Unique. That's the word. Yep. That's not a family name. That's not like, this is Ichabod Jr., Ichabod Sr. That's not... uh, 
a popular name. I would think, unless maybe back in the time it was, but you don't That's find... That's too coincidental. Yeah, no, you can't find anybody with yeah. that name except for this other person. And and that's the, I had originally heard that they had met and he didn't like the colonel. And that's okay. why he had based the character on him and kind of poked fun at him. But I actually don't think that's true because in terms of just physical characteristics, oh, nothing, they don't they like don't it. look anything alike. <laughs> Not even a little bit. No. And I did read somewhere and again, it has contrasting views. Some people said he loved the fact that everybody knew his name, but I read a lot that he hated the fact that Irving used his name, and that just makes it so funny. Man, to me. that's good. That's <laughs> I wonder, good if you hate someone. Yeah, that's good. like people come up to you and they ask you if you're the Ichabod from the story. Imagine you're like, no, stop it. I'm not that guy. That's so funny. Yeah, I have it written down that. Uh, there can be little doubt he provided the writer with an irresistible moniker and even less doubt that Halloween wasn't exactly his favorite time of year. And I just was like, yeah, this sounds like Irving because he was quite the prankster. And, you know, that's another thing in folktales that they have in common is there usually is a prankster. And that really is a great segue to the Brom Bones. Character. I was going to say, I was like, Brom was a was a trickster, so he that's was. like he was perfect. A little prank master, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we were kind of debating before, you know, who did kill Ichabod, Ichabod Crane, or did he in fact die at the end? Right? They leave mm-hmm. it very ambiguous at the end. Yeah. Some people say he met a fate worse than death. Yeah. Which was becoming a lawyer. Yeah. Which Washington Irving in real life was a lawyer, and mm-hmm. but. Didn't like doing it and yes. self-proclaimed bad at it, barely even passed the bar. Mm-hmm. And and there were, uh, I've read stories that he was cited upstate, up upstate New mm-hmm. York, mm-hmm. Um, which is pretty fun because we actually talked about this in one of our little meetings today that there's an Ichabod Crane school in upstate New York. Kinderhook. In Kinderhook, New York, where... People get really mad because there could be one snowflake, a very small dusting, and they will close school. And if you live in the Northeast, you know, it takes quite a bit of snow to close Mm -hmm. school. And this school's renowned for being like one snowflake. We're done. We're closing school. (laughs) Except in New York City where it's not an option. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry for New York City teachers. But this, this real life character, his name is Abraham Martling who is buried at the Old Dutch Church in their burying ground. Uh, his nickname was Brom. Really? That's yes. crazy. And I don't I don't think that Irving had any vendetta against him. I no. think, again, like maybe physical characteristics and his mannerisms, like he was a blacksmith. He had a very big black horse that he rode. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've all seen someone where we're like, Ooh, that could be a main character. Yeah. Story, oh, right? yeah, Like yeah. maybe he just had that that look. inspiration. Main yeah. character, character energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Irving really has this uh, love triangle, right, between him, Brom, and Katrina Van Tassel, mm-hmm. where the Van Tassels are a very big staple in the Sleepy Hollow community. They were absolutely real. They are buried at the Old Dutch Church as well. Mm-hmm. Could that character have been based on? Katrina herself, some people say yes, some people say it was her niece, Eleanor, like Uh, Eleanor's personality, but he had used Katrina's name. 
Why? Interesting. I don't know. I feel like Katrina's on the opposite side of like Ichabod. Katrina is a very popular name from that time. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of Katrinas. So it could have just been he liked that name. Well, it's, I, feel, yeah, I it's think a hot girl the name, name. I mean, right? Yeah. I think the name was with a C and it was Katarina. Uh, but, oh, he, but still. Yeah. Like, I mean, still. close yeah. enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the Van Tassels are still very much a staple in the community as well. Yeah. Now, when we didn't you say that there was a tie to him with our hold of the witch story? Ah, yes. Which, you know, and I think that was always our essential goal, right? We are making four episodes on the town of Sleepy Hollow and all of these legends and lores all kind of tie together or stemmed from each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, in, in the, uh, in the story itself, what's his name? Sorry. (laughs) Irving. Yeah. Him. (laughs) The main guy. Who were we talking about? This guy. Right at the beginning, I want to say it's on maybe like the second or third page, depending on which version you're looking at. It says a drowsy, dreamy influence seems to hang over the land and to pervade the very atmosphere. Some say that the place was bewitched by a high German doctor during the early days of the settlement. That's incredible. I love that. I do, too, because I think it's also Irving wasn't one. And I think this was a very Dutch thing to do, even though Irving was not Dutch, but in terms of tying it to the the original settlers. Yeah. I had mentioned it during the witches that they didn't want to get involved. Mm -hmm. Yes. They didn't do anything, you know, horrible to these people or any, you know, that we know of Mm -hmm. maybe, but they also didn't do anything to stop persecution or anything. Mm -hmm. And I think Irving... From from certain, you know, if we really wanted to spiral down that, he was kind of like that too. Mm-hmm. You know, he was kind of like, well, I'm just gonna get back on my sloop and see y'all later. Yeah, Watch <laughs> thanks for distance. the idea. Yeah, thanks for the idea. I mm-hmm. feel like that's uh, pretty common with writers mm-hmm. from that time period. They they were the lurkers on the outside looking in. Um, kind of not really related to the story, but. You had told me a fun fact about Edgar Allan Poe in Washington Irving that I loved. If you could share that one. Uh, well, being, I always say he's, he was like an, a Kardashian of his time. You know, uh-huh. people knew him after the legend came out in 1820 here in the States. Mm-hmm. Because it came out first in England where he was living at the time. And it was unheard of for especially an American writer to have such success in both the States and overseas. So Mm. he was a big deal. Yeah. Um, People wanted to know him and Edgar Allan Poe was one of them. He was coming up in this time. He was a struggling writer at this time. And it has been said that he sent some of his writing to Irving, including the fall of the house of Usher to get his feedback on. That's wild. That's incredible. And if you have not watched that show on Netflix, highly recommend it. But what's a little uh, a little salty was, I, I don't know what happened with that. Maybe Irving didn't get the mail or, you know, something didn't, he you know, he didn't like it. Maybe he gave him some harsh feedback. Mm, okay. Because later on, Poe becomes one of Irving's critics. Yeah. And I feel like that's a little salty. But can you imagine back in that time period, like having so many writers, like the competition to make a book that is as big as Washington Irving's was like that had to be huge just based on the fact that he was as popular as he was then to have another writer who is also a very good writer 
you know, like that. I mean, I can only imagine what that competition felt like. And I'm sure there was a lot of like cutthroat, you know, because during that time there wasn't like all these publishing houses and places to get your book out. So like, yeah, you become a critic of the person you're trying to bring down. It's almost like yeah. that, that old adage that, you know, the people that are putting you down are usually the ones that you're in greatest competition with. Mm-hmm. Right. The ones that don't want to see you win. I'm sure Poe thought, let me knock this guy down a couple notches to then elevate myself. I mean, exactly. And like, this is all totally this is conjecture. <laughs> yeah. But like, can I can only imagine, especially for that time. Like, it makes sense. It makes sense. Now, he did not marry, right, Dina? No, he didn't. And he did not father any children. So anything mm-hmm. that we really could have found out probably didn't get passed down or it might've gotten passed down to his nephew who did publish uh, a book of their letters and correspondence, which I think a lot of people have historians and so on have gotten as much as they can from those letters. Mm -hmm. But again, isn't that interpretive, right? You know, it's this, this information is never going to be confirmed. Yeah. But that love story. And I think it feels, yeah, I feel it feels like it was written by somebody who lost a great love. So something that was unattainable. Yeah. And that is the embodiment of the Katrina Mm -hmm. character, right? Because she does marry Brombone in the end. She does not pick Ichabod Crane. And they, I feel like with our uh, legend that we went to watch, Jonathan Crook, you know, Mm -hmm. hey, yo. He implies, you know, that he Ichabod had written her a poem or a letter of some kind and Mm -hmm. presented it to her at their party and she could have possibly rejected him. Yeah. It seems like she just kind of brushed it aside like, oh, okay. Oh, you're cute. Yeah, that's cute. She friend zoned him. (laughs) You know what? I think it was a friend zone situation because Mm -hmm. he was teaching her to sing that, you know, he was a teacher. So, you know, he was kind of like. Creepily courting her <laughs> under that guy's like. Uh, well, that doesn't seem great. But no, but she wasn't this, you know, young underage girl. Like, yeah. So okay, like, okay, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, Disclaimer. Yeah. No, I like that. Yes. Um, but yes, uh, Irving's real life love was such a sad story. And unfortunately, I don't have a lot of details about it, but he was working for a Judge Josiah Hoffman in the city after he passed his bar. And she he had a daughter named Matilda that if you read any of the things that Irving wrote about her, mm. it's exactly what you would want somebody to say. You know, Aww. he at one point says how much he idolized her. And then, of course, in 1809, while he's writing his first book, his first attempt at this, uh, she catches a cold that winds up being tuberculosis or consumption Gosh. at this time, right? And passes away. That's so sad. She, so he had his one great love. Yeah. It really seemed yeah. like he did. And she's not buried at the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery with him. Uh, I'm assuming it's because they lived in New York City that she's buried uh, in the Bowery, supposedly, and St. Oh. Mark's, uh, where some other big names are, I've come to learn. But I, I don't even think like my fun fact really is about that. It's about the fact that I never really thought, I was like, oh, okay, so his heart was broken. He never marries. He never has kids. That doesn't mean he didn't date, though. Yeah, that's true. Very true. Right? Very true. It's true. And did you did you read who uh, who had the hots for him? Apparently, no, no. I want to know. Deets, Mary Shelley. Oh, Frankenstein writer. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, 
A literal- Again with the writers. I mean, oh, they man. probably all flocked together. I was just going to say, they right? probably all hung out together. So mm-hmm. this is, again, this is television and movie. And I read so much that sometimes these stories just kind of all melt together. But from what I remember during my uh, brief obsession with American literature and English literature, they would frequent the same pubs and uh-huh. they were known as writers pubs. And it was kind of like you went in there, you sat in your dark, dark corner with your candlelight, you drank your ales and your, you know, what unless you were Edgar Allan Poe and you were chugging Jack Daniels in the mean streets of Baltimore, but you you drank in the same as they used to call the haunt, right? That's ah. where the local haunt were, where the writers would go and they mm-hmm. would all hang out together. So, I mean, that to me is, yeah, they were probably there at the same time. Maybe she also had a great love. I don't know her story, so I can't speak on it. But if she had a great love that she lost, maybe, maybe he was her great love. And it's she, very possible. And he was like, eh, had mine. Thanks. My yeah. new love is literature. Bye. <laughs> yeah, I had heard, I had read, I should say, that, you know, he, he did fall for someone else who had rejected him. Oh. And I think Mary Shelley was afterwards and he rejected her. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, all right. Yeah. Keep, hey. Keep it real, people. People just throw it But you know it what, everywhere. though? Everybody was on a clock back then, so. It's true. That's very true. Mm-hmm. You, did, you weren't living to 80. You, you catch a cold. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and ironically, he did not live to 80. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, when, what, how old was he when he did die? I believe he was 76. He So that kind of brings us back to the cemetery, mm-hmm. you know, to tie it all kind of back to that and how Sleepy Hollow became Sleepy Hollow and why. Uh, because... I think when people first find out it's a real place, Mm -hmm. you know, they equate it to the story and they want to go check it out and stuff. And this little town, this little hamlet, right, really does owe a lot to this story because General Motors was the big uh, employment spot, you know, during the 90s in, in this area. And they decided to close down that location and move to someplace cheaper. And it put about 4,000 people out of a job. Mm. So in order to kind of revive this town Mm. and generate that, that economy again, you know, they decided to rebrand North Terrytown, Sleepy Hollow in at the end of 96, beginning of 97. That is pretty Mm -hmm. genius. It is marketing. I think so too. I I think a, a lot of the locals and just because this is Halloween and obviously they're peak of season absolutely and it is insane there like the traffic is wild which obviously puts everybody into a bad mood there's block parties there's hey they do they do it up now we talked about the witches on the paddleboard right yeah. i mean the whole month they just pack it so those poor locals you know that are just trying to like hit up cvs yeah and they got no parking you yeah. know, it takes an hour to, I mean, South Broadway is so congested. So you can imagine that some people are thankful for it, but probably are like, mm, can't wait till October's over. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand that. And I'm sure that's how the same uh, in Salem. Oh, I'm yeah. sure yeah. Salem I was just feels the same that. way. I was like, I can't believe how many videos I've seen where people are like, don't come to Salem in October. Mm-hmm. You won't be able to move. And it's Uh, true. It's true. I've seen the videos. I've seen the TikToks. Yeah. So what is, as someone who's studied Washington Irving and you're really, I mean, I would say that you're definitely a student of Washington Irving Mm -hmm. as someone who knows you. I think we could have been best friends. I do think so Mm -hmm. as well. But like, what is your favorite thing about him 
especially with the story and his life. And like, he really has had such an impact on American culture, but also New York culture. Mm -hmm. That is actually a wonderful question. And what you just said, like it just popped it right into my head. He, to me, is so funny. Okay, just the pseudonyms, the, the pen names that he chose to use. You know, if you think back to when he first started writing, he was writing essays for the Morning Chronicle, whom his older brother was an editor, got him the job, right? And he's putting out these these essays in the paper that probably weren't even that long, probably like got paid, what, pennies, you know? like Yeah. And he decides to write them under Jonathan Old Style. And the name's just, I have no idea what the meaning of uh, is behind the name, but it's yeah. funny to me, like old style. Like, where did you come up with that? What, you know? And then he he has the Diedrich Knickerbocker name. Uh, but he also used in other things, Will Wizard, Langston Langstaff, you know? And he had this group. He really likes alliteration. Yeah. <laughs> As do I. Yeah. I mean, it really does work. It, it makes it, it, it rolls off the tongue. Um, but they had a group, uh, his one of his brothers, uh, James Kirk Paulding as well, where they called themselves the Lads of Kilkenny. And they were huge pranksters. In fact, you know, I know I've referenced this book multiple times by Jonathan Crook, but that's where I first heard the story. And I have not been able to find it anywhere else where they were out one night just in the area and there was a uh, guard posted up because they just kind of like kept watch and they tied a rope around the guards post and like dragged him by horse like through oh the my- t- <laughs> like like really messed with people and i'm just like wow. these crazy kids yeah know? and then with Diedrich Knickerbocker he decided i always joke like he created viral marketing 200 plus years before there were like viral mar- viral marketing was a thing mm-hmm. so when this book comes out and again remember his beloved, his fiance has now just passed. Okay. This is, it's almost happening all simultaneously. The book is about to come out at the beginning of December. He starts placing missing person ads in the newspaper saying that this old crusty historian was staying in a hotel. Uh, his name was Diedrich Knickerbocker and he's gone missing. Has anybody seen him? But then places another ad in another paper responding to the ad like, oh, I think I saw that guy like wandering around, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then the hotel allegedly posts one saying he's disappeared and hasn't paid his bill. And if he doesn't come back, they're going to publish his manuscript and keep the proceeds. And I mean, we all love our gossip. Can you imagine reading this? Being like, this is hysterical. What is happening right now? If podcasts existed, that would be the true crime podcast. Yeah, it would be. (laughs) Where Where is? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, he he does reveal it is him, you know, after the book comes out. But everybody bought the book. Because everybody had to know what was going on with Diedrich Knickerbocker. Yeah. They're like, wait, what is this story? Hysterical. I love that. Genius. That's, I was just going to say, very ingenious and I, I feel like prolific is too soft of a word to describe his influence. And a lot of the things that I've learned about him just doing this podcast kind of reshape the way you think about New York. True. People that live in New York, sometimes we get a little bit of a bad taste for New York. Mm-hmm. But if we think about where New York culture came from and, and how this state became New York State, there's a pride I think New Yorkers have, even when we hate New York, even yeah. when we're like, oh, this is the worst. Just me trying to get here. You know, it's always a debacle trying to get from Manhattan to Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And there's still that thing inside of all of us where we're like, I'm so proud to be from New York. And a lot of that came from 
people like him who created this culture of New York is like a part of you. Once you are a New Yorker, you're always a New Yorker. It's true. It's very true. I think also, and again, this is just my interpretation of a lot of the things that he's written because I haven't read everything. You know, I'm definitely not speaking as someone who has read every single thing. I'm catching up. Um, But between the history of New York coming out and some of his other stories later on, he seemed to really want to point out to people like, yes, the Dutch settled here, but look at how much it keeps changing. Things change, you know, and he wound up leaving New York for 17 years. Like it was a 17 year stretch that he was gone. And when he came back, he even admitted it wasn't the New York he remembered. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel I th- like that's something that a lot of people say when they leave New York and they come back after a long time. They're like, this is not the New York I remember because it changed. It does. It changes. And especially during that period of our history. Yeah. Everything was it changing. It blew up. Yeah. 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 Everything was tra- changing. But that was lucky for us because instead of staying in New York, he decided to settle in what is now known as Irvington, named after him. Or uh, Sunnyside, his his house is named Sunnyside, which allegedly he purchased from the Van Tassels. Hmm. It was the Van Tassel farm originally. And it's beautiful. I love that full circle. The views from that place are ridiculous. I can't. I want to know how much that would go for now. When I you, mean. When you see the view, mm-hmm. okay, and I think I have a video of it from when I was walking around the house because you get to walk through his house. You don't get to go upstairs. I'm sure... That could be dangerous now at this point. But they have it fully furnished, you know, like set up as if it's being lived in. And he has this beautiful outdoor patio facing the Hudson River. You see the beautiful mountains that I I would assume would be the Palisades, I believe. Yeah. And it's the most stunning thing I've ever seen. I just want to bring my cup of coffee and a blanket in my book. And I want to sit on that patio. He's your bestie. Ask him if we can go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I saw it at night. No. And it was Beautiful. Do you remember? Okay. The train. Yeah. So we're sitting there watching this performance at Sunnyside and I keep hearing something and I know there are no cars around where we are because we had to park and then walk down. And I'm like looking around and sound. And I'm looking at her like, are she hearing this? Is this me? Like what's happening right now? And then I remembered the train goes right past his home. Like there are railroad tracks now right behind his home. And I remembered from previous research from wherever, I don't even know where this one came from, but they put that railroad down and he was pissed about it. He actually, I think he sued them because they kept blowing their horn and waking him up. He won $5,000 from that. You got to pay him. I mean, listen, that sucks. If you spend all this money to I be know. in a very mm. serene, beautiful place, and then there's just a and train. And put a train behind your house. It's very close. It's very close. I mean, okay. So, to, I hate that I'm even saying this, but to kind of wrap up. Yeah. To, I know, I, I know. know. But to kind of wrap up this story, do, do you think he knew when he was writing this, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow what an impact it was going to have on American ghost story culture? I mean, like as a as, you know, someone that loves reading books, like I don't know that people, authors go into writing books thinking that they're going to be. Yeah. This, you know, like I I can't imagine he went into writing that thinking it would be what it is today. I agree. I agree. I would say 
he could have maybe, I don't think he thought it was going to be to this degree that right. 203 years later, and I, I just want to, as, as we're wrapping it up, just throw it out there again, being it's Halloween, the Battle of White Plains, which is allegedly where this Hessian soldier lost his head by way of cannonball, was on October 28th. 1776. I don't think it's a coincidence, friends. No. Nope. Okay. So he he is a smart man. Maybe he wasn't so book smart, you know, but he was a very smart man. He could piece together a story. And I think he knew this would be a great Halloween story if I took this battle, right, based on facts, because there was a lot of communication between soldiers, diaries, letters, things like that, that told of a Hessian losing his head. Someone saw it happen. Didn't mean it's necessarily this person's coming back, you know? Yeah. Tying it up his horse and trying to find a head. And especially since White Plains is, what did we see, like nine miles away from the old Dutch church where he would have had to have been buried? Like, why would you bring a, a, not even decapitated, like his head was blown off, you know? How how would you? Yeah. So, you know, like we can debunk that, but I think he... He was inspired by these amazing folk tales, and he loved them so much that he wanted he wanted some sort of legacy, you know, to leave behind within that realm. And boy, did he do it! Yeah, he did. So he really did. He didn't have anything else to be proud of. I mean, I think he could definitely rest in peace. Ah, that's a beautiful way to end it. Mm-hmm. And you know, to our residents of Folktown, this was so fun. Thank you, everyone, for giving us a chance to share this with you and. I can't wait to do it again. I do just want to tease a little. We do have something a little bit special coming up for you guys soon. We're not going to reveal that here, though. Yeah, so we we might be on a hiatus, gone, but do not forget. <laughs> we will <laughs> this be is back. Just, this is just the end. Yeah, this is just one. one. Exactly. We just wanted to nerd out with you guys for a little bit and, and have someone to share some spooky, creepy thoughts and stories with. But we're going to be back. We will be back. So thank you, residents of Folktown. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Happy Halloween. Hi, I'm Kyle. Can We Geek About is a new podcast from Gotham West. Each week, JJ and I will delve into the geekier side of pop culture from our favorites in science fiction and fantasy to new releases and even... Maybe rag on some absolute flops. We promise that even if you don't like what we have to say, you'll like how we say it. But anyway, can we geek about? Did you really need me here for this? I just needed a ride. (sighs) Can we geek about? So give us a listen, subscribe or follow, wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. 
or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.